Welcome to the final episode of Air Crash Investigation, the podcast, the show where we dissect and discuss crumbling crashes in aviation history. I'm your host, as always, Kai Jordan, and in our final episode, we are going to be discussing the story of Garuda Indonesia Flight 152. But before we continue, I have a specific ask. I've made a Google Forms form. The link will be in the description in the link three description is the first thing that you're going to see and basically it's just some suggestions that i have in terms of what i want to do with the podcast next gen i just would really like you to just fill that out but thank you so much in advance really do hope that you fill it out and i want your opinions so without wasting any more of your time let us officially get into it it is the greatest aviation mystery of all time lies a massive passenger jet and the remains of its 239 passengers and crew. Uh, Good morning, we have uh, a smoke uh, uh, problem and we're doing emergency descent to level 15140. In December 1988, a passenger airliner was bombed over Scotland in what was one of the largest pre-9-11 terrorist attacks. Garuda Indonesia Flight 152 was a scheduled flight for the 26th of September 1997. Its origin was Sukarno Hatta International Airport, Jakarta, Indonesia. Its destination was Polonia International Airport, Medan, Indonesia. The aircraft used was the Airbus A300 B4-200 and its call sign was Indonesia 152. This is incredibly important later on. The crew. So the quote-unquote captain was Hans Ramo Viogo Sarifasidarang, who was 42 years old at the time of the crash. He isn't really officially credited as the captain in the final report, but we're going to call him the captain of this flight. He joined Garuda Indonesia on the 17th of January 1978, and he was the pilot flying this aircraft. Now, when it comes to his experience, and I quote, the pilot in commander served as a co-pilot on the Airbus A300 before from 18 March 1982 until 1 June 1988. He had a valid rating as pilot in control on the Airbus A300-600 since 27 January 1993 until the time of the occurrence, end quote. In total, this captain had 11,978 total flight hours with 782 hours on the Airbus A300. Their last proficiency and instrument check ratings were on the 28th of June 1997 and I'm going to refer to Mr. Ramuyogo as the captain in this episode. I'm also going to refer to him as Captain R because I feel like I am butchering his name. The first officer of this flight was Tata Zualdi who was 41 years old at the time of the crash. He was the pilot not flying. He joined Garuda Indonesia on the 21st of June 1976 and I quote, Before acquiring a rating for the Airbus A300-B4, 
The co-pilot has served as a flight engineer on DC-10 and B-747-200 types from 21 June 1976 until 13 June 1996. The co-pilot underwent standard type qualification training for A-300-B-4. End quote. In total, he had 709 hours on the accident aircraft, and his last proficiency check was on the 28th of June 1997, and his last instrument rating check was on the 15th of September 1997, exactly 11 days before the accident had occurred. Now, for the first time ever on the show, we are going to be discussing the air traffic controller because this person is incredibly vital for this crash. Okay, so the air traffic controller, whose name I could not find, had valid certificates for an air traffic controller's license. He went to performance checks every six months, meaning that he was still fresh. At the time of the accident, he was the watch supervisor. Now something to add and I quote, basic ATC training is carried out at the Civil Aviation Training Center in Sharag. There was no training facility at operational sites in which air traffic controllers can review, maintain, and update their capabilities in providing air traffic services, end quote. So for me, that was suspicious. And something to add is that his medical check was overdue, which is concerning. There were 10 flight attendants and 222 passengers on board. Now for some airplane information in case you think that this is maintenance error. This airplane had flown 26,950 total flight hours and its next airworthiness check was on the 7th of October 1997. So before the flight took place, the crew went to their facility and they went to go receive their flight briefs. Usually flight briefs have weather conditions, alternate airports in the event of an emergency, a flight plan, and there are no term or notice to airmen. If you don't know what that is, according to Wikipedia, a notice to airmen or notice to air missions, no term, is a notice filled with an aviation authority to alert aircraft pilots of potential hazards along a flight route or at a location that could affect the flight. No terms are unclassified notices or advisories distributed by means of telecommunications that contain information concerning the establishment, conditions, or change in any aeronautical facility, service, procedure, or hazard, the timely knowledge of which is essential to personnel and systems concerning with flight operations. End quote. So, the NOTAM had information about the VOR, which was a navigational beacon that was on the route that Flight 152 was going to undertake. So, the navigational beacon in particular was overdue for maintenance and it was advised that this navigational beacon should be used with caution. Furthermore, there was poor visibility in Medan, which is the place where Flight 152 was supposed to land or the destination. It was 1,000 meters or 3,281 feet in smoke, and the actual visibility was 400 meters or 1,300 feet. Therefore, this flight had to land using instrument landing system or the ILS, and this essentially helps guide the pilots to land the airplane. So the flight, flight 152 took off from Sukarno Hatta International Airport at 19 minutes to 5 a.m. Universal Time Coordinated or UTC. The estimated time of arrival was 19 minutes to 7 a.m. UTC. 
Due to the low visibility, the crew was under instrument flight rules or IFR, which is basically when a pilot or pilots are supposed to solely rely on their instruments as visual references are bad or it's just bad weather conditions in general. At 12 minutes past 6 a.m., the crew decided to ask them a down air traffic controller to descend. The air traffic controller then tells GA Flight 152 or Garuda Indonesia Flight 152 to descend to 15,000 feet or 4,572 meters. At this point, Flight 152 is in radar contact. The crew is then instructed to descend further to 3,000 feet or 914 meters and they are told to reduce their speed to 220 knots, 407 kilometers an hour, or 253 miles per hour. Now, the reason why they were told to descend to 3,000 feet is because they were approaching the airport, so they had to reduce their altitude. And the reason why they had to reduce their speed is because another aircraft was supposed to take off from runway 23, and Garuda Indonesia was supposed to land on runway 5. Now, if you do not understand, essentially runway 5 and runway 23 are the same runway. However, runway 5 or runway 05 is the landing runway, whereas runway 23 is the taking off runway. You see how dangerous this is. We're going to discuss that later on. So at 27 minutes past 6 a.m. 12 seconds, the Medan Etrav controller instructs the crew to maintain altitude. The crew confirms this at 27 minutes past 6 a.m. 21 seconds. Now at 27 minutes past 6 a.m. 50 seconds, the Medan Etrav controller instructs, and I quote, Marpati 152, you are uh, turn left heading 240, vectoring for intercept ILS runway 05 from the right side, traffic now uh, rolling, end quote. Now, the crew did not acknowledge this, and at 28 minutes past 6 a.m., 6 seconds, the Medan Air Traffic Controller asks, and I quote, Indonesia 152, do you read? End quote. The crew of Flight 152 asks the Air Traffic Controller to repeat. At 28 minutes past 6 a.m., 13 seconds, the Medan Air Traffic Controller says, and I quote, Turn left heading uh, 240-235, now vectoring for intercept ILS runway 05, end quote. Please remember what he said. Just if you're going to remember something for the investigation, please remember this because this is incredibly important and we go through that in the investigation. Like, please remember that. So the crew of Flight 152 then acknowledges their request. At 28 minutes past 6 a.m. 52 seconds, the captain asks if the aircraft is clear from mountainous area, which was northwest from Madan. Madan is basically an airport or like an area which is surrounded by mountains and it's incredibly dangerous to land at Madan, which is why usually they use ILS or instrument landing system. The crew then acknowledges this. Flight 152 is then instructed to turn left on heading 215 degrees. They continue to turn left. At 29 minutes past 6 a.m. 41 seconds, flight 152 is instructed to descend to 2,000 feet or 610 meters, which please remember they were still like in the smoke. The wings were level and the heading was 225 degrees. At half past 6 a.m. 4 seconds, flight 152 is instructed to turn right with their heading 046 degrees and to report when they have established the localizer. 
Flight 152 acknowledges this, but they misread the heading. They read it as turn right heading 040 Indonesia 152 check established, end quote, instead of 046, they heard 040. Now at half past 6 a.m. 33 seconds, the crew was still turning left and they were supposed to start to turn right. So the first officer, first officer Zuwaldi, then reminds Captain R to turn right. At half past 6 a.m. 35 seconds, flight 152 asks the aircraft controller whether they should turn left or to turn right to 040 degrees. At half past 6 a.m. 39 seconds, the Madan aircraft controller says, turning right, sir, end quote, which the crew acknowledges. At half past 6 a.m. 51 seconds, the aircraft controller then asks if they were making a left turn or a right turn. Flight 152 responds, we are turning right now. At 29 minutes to 7 a.m. 5 seconds, the aircraft controller then tells Flight 152 to turn left. Flight 152 was still descending and they were thinking that they were supposed to turn right. You see how this is confusing. Let me just stop here and let me explain. So essentially what is happening is that flight 152's approach to Polonia International Airport goes as follows. This crew was supposed to turn left in order to be in the direction of the airport itself. Then they were supposed to turn right in order to intercept the ILS signal. Then somehow, somewhere, they were supposed to turn left again. Somehow, somewhere. So you see how that is confusing, especially since there was a lot of confusion inside the cockpit already as they did not know what to do. And this is shown by the fact that flight 152 says, and I quote, uh, confirming turning left, we are starting to turn right now, end quote. So there was a lot of confusion and miscommunication between the air traffic controller and the crew of flight 152. The air traffic controller then realized that flight 152 was well below their required altitude, whereby they were at 1,800 feet or 549 meters and they were still descending. Now please remember that there are a lot of mountains around this area. And some of the mountains are as high as 1,800 feet or 549 meters. So this is a problem. Then the aircraft started to roll 25 degrees to the right. And the right turn was being maintained and the aircraft was still decreasing in altitude. So as a result, they decided to increase their speed in order to increase their lift so that they can get over the mountainous area. And unfortunately, at 29 minutes to 7 a.m. 32 seconds, Garuda Indonesia flight 152 crashes in the mountainous region around Polonia International Airport in Medan and everyone on board, including the captain, first officer, the flight attendants, they all die. The investigation. So the National Transportation Safety Committee or NTSC of Indonesia is in charge of investigating the crash. So the meteorological information before we get started, and I quote, During the summer or dry season of 1997, smoke from forest fires in South Sumatera and Kalimantan severely reduced the surface visibility over a wide area of North Sumatera, including the Madan area. 
The meteorological weather report at the time of the accident stated that the surface visibility was 500 meters or 1,640 feet. Madan area was reported covered with smoke and stratocolumbus clouds. The cloud base was 1,500 feet or 457 meters with visibility between 400 to 500 meters or 1,312 to 1,640 meters. No rainfall was reported for the area in the immediate area at the time of the accident. Surface wind velocities at Bandara Polonia were 0 to 5 knots, 0 to 9 kilometers an hour, or 0 to 6 miles per hour in northwesterly direction. No data or information were available of the local weather conditions at the crash site. End quote. Essentially, the weather was not the best to fly in. However, the fact that they used ILS in that airport, it was probably possible for them to land safely. So when it comes to the wreckage information, and I quote, since I'm going to be quoting a lot for this episode, the main crash site was located at the base of a ravine in a lightly populated area of tropical rainforest. The sides of the ravine were steep, but the base was gentle sloping, with an area of abandoned rice paddy terraces and an area which appeared to have light vegetation. Evidence indicated that the aircraft initially collided with a large tree on a ridge about 500 to 600 meters or 1,640 to 1,969 feet to the northeast of the impact site. The impact site was in a valley circa 100 meters or 328 feet below the initial impact. An operations group formed to investigate the final track of the aircraft found debris along a 220-degree heading before the aircraft finally came to a rest on the main crash site at the base of a ravine or valley in a lightly populated area of tropical forest rain. End quote. So that was a fire where the airplane crashed and complete sections of the fuselage luckily survived. There was a lot of fire damage though mostly on the left hand wing and i quote due to a lesser amount of fuel in the right hand wing at impact end quote now something to add is that the plane was incredibly far from the airport meaning that the pilots we do not know where they were flying which is a problem but i'm not done with the wreckage information because they sell a lot so the landing gear the landing gear was found under the wings and in the retracted position and i quote only portions of the left main landing gear were identified. The position of the nose landing gear components was generally found in the flight deck area of the wreckage, showed the nose leg as being in its retracted position at impact. Only portions of the left main landing gear were identified. End quote. And when it comes to the engines of this aircraft, they were found in one piece, but I'm going to read you some more, which is going to kind of give you a little bit of insight. And I quote, one of the two Pratt and Whitney JT-90 engines was easily identified nose down in mud close to the major impact tree and in an area of the left wing. The other engine was found buried close to the wing sector section and in a position entirely consistent with its being wrenched from the number two engine pylon, failing the pylon in the direction of the center section. The wing had moved further 9 meters or 30 feet sideways after the separation of this engine. Neither engine could be positively identified from serial number. However, at the base of the major impact tree at the crash site, all the fuel control unit was found from one of the engines. 
the FCU's position was only consistent with its separation from the engine found some 10 meters or 33 feet away and its engine record confirmed that the FCU serial number matched the number one or left-hand engine, end quote. Now, the APU or the auxiliary power unit was not found at the crash site because it wasn't installed, red flag. The navigational engine instruments when it comes to that, and I quote, the majority of the aircraft flight navigation and engine instruments were found in a small area to the left of the final flight path at a distance of approximately 30 meters or 94 feet in front of the wing location near the flight deck area of the accident site and their indication were noted. The instruments were transported to a locked storage at Garuda's engineering hangar in Madan. They were examined further on behalf of the AAIC or the A Accident Investigation Commission. The gauge needles were unreliable. The fuel control unit and the ground proximity warning system could not be identified. Either way, the debris was incredibly messed up and that is what you see mostly when it comes to crashes. So the medical and pathological information. So 176 victims were identified and unfortunately 58 victims were not identified till this day. There was an immediate death due to the impact and these victims suffered head injuries and multiple fractures. Only two victims were actually burnt in this whole ordeal and no autopsy was ever done on anyone. So we'll never truly know what was in their system, but that is okay. So when it comes to the airport and the landing, as I'd mentioned before, runway 5 and runway 23 are the same runway. These two were considered, these quote-unquote two, were considered safe during VMC or visual meteorological conditions. There was also instrument meteorological conditions. Now the air traffic controller, I told you that this person was important, the air traffic controller who activated the use of both runway 5 and runway 23 at the same time, said they did this because, and I quote, this was due to avoid delays in takeoff or landing as a result of single direction runway operation. Reciprocal runway operations may result in head-on conflicting traffic and may create a hazard to air safety, end quote, which is exactly what I was saying. I did not, I don't like the fact that they were using one runways whereby one is, one side is just for taking off and the other side is for landing. I don't like that at all. But either way, when it comes to a misunderstanding, I told you about the misunderstanding. Essentially, the first message that the aircraft controller told to Indonesia flight 152 was, and I quote, Merpati 152, U turn left heading 240, vectoring for ILS runway 05 from the right side. Traffic now about rolling, end quote. Then the second message that this air traffic controller said, and I quote, okay, turn left heading 240, uh, 235. Now, vectoring for ILS runway 05. Essentially, their vectoring thing changed from 240 to 235 which is incredibly yes is it a small mistake of course however very 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 shady and you might think that that is all no it is not because there was a wrong call sign the air controller used the wrong call sign i don't know how this happened but essentially the air traffic controller called indonesia flight 152 marpati 152 which may have caused confusion and i think it actually did 
Moreover, the ground proximity warning system or the GPWS. So if you don't know what this is, it's essentially a system designed to alert pilots if their aircraft is in immediate danger of flying into the ground or an obstacle. This is through Wikipedia. And a pull-up pull-up sound was heard in the cockpit and the investigators believed this to be the GPWS. However, they concluded that it was a human voice. The GPWS as I had mentioned, could not be identified, so no actual tests could be done in order to check whether or not the system was working. And before I read the findings, I just want to say that there were so many errors when it comes to this crash. There were so many errors, not just on the side of the pilots, but also on the side of the damn air traffic controller. This makes me so bad. But either way, let's start with the findings. And I quote, number one, the aircraft was certified in accordance with regulations and approved procedures at the time of the occurrence. Number two, the aircraft was structurally intact prior to initial impact with the tree. Number three, the engines were still operating normally at the time of the impact. Number four, the pilot in command or Captain R and co-pilot or first officer Zawaldi were licensed and qualified for the flight in accordance with regulations at the time of the occurrence. Number five, the ATC radar controller on duty's medical examination was overdue. Number six, the ongoing training for controller, especially in critical situation or emergency procedures, was insufficient. Number seven, opposite runway operation was common practice for takeoff and landing at Polonia Airport, presented a safety hazard for air traffic operations, and I agree with this one. Number eight, the runway was not closed for landing when visibility was only 500 meters as compared to the weather minimum of 800 meters as stated. Number nine, the dispatcher did not discuss the weather condition at destination with the flight crew. Number 10, the use of same digits on flight numbers, especially for flights in the same area, presented a safety hazard for flight operations. Number 11, the approach controller's instruction for Indonesia 152 to intercept ILS was incomplete in which the phrase from the right side was not mentioned. The complete instruction was transmitted earlier but with the call sign Merpati 152 instead of Indonesia 152. Number 12. The flight crew did not rigorously comply with company SOP or standard operating procedures for the management of altitude change. The flight crew deviated from company FCOM procedures that required A. When the autopilot is engaged, pilot flying is to make changes to the autopilot settings and to announce his flight mode annunciator FMA. B. Pilot not flying to confirm changes made by pilot flying and to announce mode changes on his FMA. C. Pilot not flying to call when approaching assigned altitudes, for example, 1,000 feet to go. Number 13. The aircraft turned to the left instead of right by pilot flying even though the instruction was given and was correctly read back by pilot not flying in radio communication with air traffic control. 14. The pilot flying's instruction to check the cockpit air conditioning had distracted the pilot not flying's attention and added the crew's workload at a crucial point in time, presumably causing the pilot not flying to not immediately identify that the aircraft was turning to the left instead of to the right as instructed by the aircraft controller. So to kind of pause a little bit here, I just have to say, I know I do not 
talk about that in the flight part of this episode but essentially when the ATC told the crew to turn right. The first officer was occupied with turning on the air conditioning because the captain had said so. 15. The radar return rate on the screen, which was at 12 second interval, is sufficient for an en route but insufficient for approach. And finally, number 16, the aircraft did not capture 2,000 feet or 610 meters altitude for reasons that could not be determined. The most probable cause for the autopilot did not capture 2,000 feet or 610 meters altitude is incorrect altitude setting. An autopilot capture malfunction is possible but not probable, end quote. So the cause of this crash, and I quote, there was confusion regarding turning direction of left turn instead of right turn at critical position during radar vectoring that reduced the flight crew's vertical awareness while they were concentrating on the aircraft's lateral changes. These caused the aircraft to continue descending below the assigned altitude of 2,000 feet or 610 meters and hit three tops at 1550 feet or 472 meters above mean sea level and cut meaning that nothing was wrong with the plane and it was pilot and air traffic control error so the recommendations set out by the ntsc and i quote number one reinforce the implementation of existing standard operation procedure or sop for the flight crew number two install a minimum safe altitude warning system or msaws and other safety warning devices for ats down. number three consider the construction of a full parallel taxi runway at polonia airport to enable a more practical one-way system of takeoff and landings in order to meet ats objective for safe and efficient air traffic operation and number four avoid using similar flight numbers for scheduled flights along the same ats route and in the same area and quote i agree heavily with number three and number four but either way that is the end of today's episode our last episode of the year i know bittersweet because yes this is the last episode of there. But thank you so much for rocking with me so much. I really do appreciate it. I will be back on the 7th of January 2023. So that gives me plus minus a week off where I can just work on like better scripting and better editing. And next year, I promise to be consistent. I promise to be consistent. Do not forget to check out the Google form that I really do want you to participate and to like give me your opinions about this podcast because I just want to add some more things and some more features, take away some things, basically what you think because I really do respect your opinion and I want your opinion. Either way, I have been your host, Kai Jordan, and for the last time in 2022, I will catch you next time. Cheers.